If you'll turn in your Bibles, we're going to spend most of our time in the book of Numbers this morning. And if you're having a hard time finding where that is, that's towards the front of the book among the the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Bible. We're going to look at Numbers 14 and 24 as we continue in our series on servants. I debated over what title to give this message this morning. Y'all know me, I, I like to... I like catchy titles. That's the songwriter in, in, from my past. I thought about the wild spirit of Caleb or the first giant slayer. I also like this one of grasshoppers and giants and, or Caleb the courageous. And so I settled on giant slaying courage. And some of you may be saying, well, I thought that applied to David. No, Caleb was the first giant slayer. So we want to talk about giant slaying courage in our series on servants, and maybe we can learn. You say, well, I've never slain any giants. I, I think that if you'll see from the characteristics of Caleb, I think you may see it differently uh, as we go along this morning. Numbers 14 and verse 34. This is where my servant Caleb is mentioned by the Lord. He says, but my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. It's interesting to note that this servant of God that we're talking about here today follows right on the heels of Moses, the servant of God. You remember that's who we talked about last week, Moses the meek. And it was just a chapter or two before uh, that we read about Moses the meek. And now we're in Numbers fifteen fourteen, right in there. And if you'll turn uh, back over to Numbers, the 13th chapter, we'll kind of set in context why the Lord comes along and says, my servant Caleb. So first of all, who is Caleb? If you study in the scripture and you read in the Bible, you'll see that Caleb was a descendant of one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And the descendant that he came from significantly was Judah. And of course, if you know anything about the lineage or the genealogy of Christ, it's very significant, uh, the family of Judah, because that's from where Christ comes from. That's where David comes from. And it was very interesting to me, and I had not noticed this before, I'm sure maybe some of you had, that there is a legacy of giant slayers in the line of Judah. And we'll see that here this morning. So Caleb is a descendant of Judah. And if you'll carefully read Numbers 13 with Deuteronomy, the first chapter, you'll find an interesting sequence that takes place as, God, as Moses sends out the spies to spy out the land of Canaan. Now, again, I want you to see the context. I don't want you to be floating around in a vacuum and not understand where we are. Okay, where, where the, the tribes of Israel are positioned is at the south of the promised land. And this is before the 40 years that they wandered. So understand that they are perched on the edge of the promised land, at the south of the promised land, having traveled from Egypt down to Mount Sinai where Moses received the law. And then they go north, a real, basically, really, relatively short passage, and they travel north and they're at the, they're at the south end of the promised land that they, that God has said you're going to possess it. And so they're ready to go in. It's very important. You know, the bad report of the spies has not come back yet. So they're perched on the precipice of going in. You know how a few weeks ago we talked about Jericho back, I think, first of the year or end of the last year. And that was them 40 years later coming into the promised land finally. Well, here's an opportunity. They could have gone in right now. And they're at the south end of the promised land. 
in a particular area and they're ready to go in. And Moses is telling them, hey, this is it. We're on the edge. We're fixing to go in and possess it. There's houses. There's lands. You didn't build the houses. You didn't prepare the lands. You didn't do anything. God's just giving it to you. And it's very interesting to see the sequence. If you read carefully Deuteronomy, the first chapter, and this is a good assignment for you later to do. Deuteronomy, the first chapter with uh, Numbers 13. If you'll read it carefully, what Moses says to the people 40 years down the road in Deuteronomy 1, he tells them that God did, uh, if I'm reading it correctly, it was not God that told Moses to initially to send the spies. It was the people. The people came and said, okay, you tell us we're fixing to go in. We'd like to know a little bit about the land. And Moses said, well, I think that's a good idea. Let's send some spies in there. And now God did tell them who to send. Y'all read that carefully. I'd be interested to know if you think it's any different than I think it is. But it reads to me that it was the people's idea to send the spies in to spy out the land. And God said, okay, if you're going to do this, there's no reason to do it. But if you're going to do it, I want you to send rulers from each of the 12 tribes. Okay. And so the top man in each of the 12 tribes was sent. And we're not going to go through and read about all of them. But I want, I want to ask you this morning as you sit here, who remembers from all their Bible studies and all of their readings of the Bible, who remembers these fellas? Shamuah, Shaphat, Egal, Palti, Gadiel, Gadi, Amiel, Sethur, Nabi, and Geuel. Y'all remember those guys? Nobody remembers those guys. You remember Caleb and Joshua? Everybody remembers Caleb and Joshua. The names of these cowardly men have faded into oblivion. The ones who brought back the bad report, nobody remembers them. But everybody remembers Caleb and Joshua. And Caleb had giant slaying courage. So the men go out and they these 12 spies, leaders of the nation go out and they spy out the land and they come back. And what they say when they come back is a relatively good thing. Initially, it says in verse 27 of Numbers 14, they came back to the congregation, gathered everybody, everybody's excited. And it says in verse 27 that they told them, him, and said, we came unto the land, whether thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. And they had these huge branches of grapes uh, there's been some conjecture that the grapes might have been as big as a, as a golf ball or even bigger. Huge. They had to carry them on branches to bear them. And they also had figs and pomegranates that they brought. They said, look at this. It's amazing. God's promises are true in terms of this land flowing with milk and honey. It all starts out good. And then verse 28, nevertheless, you better watch out for those neverthelesses when it comes to the promises of God. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The children of Anak were giants. I mean, literally, physically, they were probably, uh, they were probably ancestors of Goliath, uh, the Philistines. And Anak, they probably were 10 feet tall, maybe 14 feet tall. These people were massive, and they weren't skinny, uh, you know, they weren't like a bean pole. They were thick and, and big and muscular and massive. And the def, by the way, the definition of the word giant from the Scripture is bully. They weren't just big, nice people. They were big, mean bullies. <laughs> and they said the Amalekites dwelt there in the south. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses. 
Y'all picture this now. These 10 guys, and obviously the 10 spies didn't do a whole lot of coordinating. The 12 spies didn't do a whole lot of coordinating before they came back and made their report. Because if they had, Caleb would have said, now listen here, I'm going to whoop every one of you if you go in there and tell them that we can't do this. <laughs> but apparently they didn't do any coordinating. And so the 10 began to say, we can't, we can't, the giants, the giants. And Caleb says, wait a minute, wait a minute, calm down. And Caleb says, let us go up at once and possess it. You see, they're there. It's time to possess it. This is the time that God had uh, directed them to go and possess the land. They're right there. You see how this could have gone a different way? If they'd only listened to Caleb, if they'd only listened to Joshua, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Notice that. We're well able to overcome it. Why? Not because they're more strong than the giants or more strong than the Amalekites. Not because they've got a greater power, but because God is on their side. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched under the under the children of Israel, saying, The land which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants. You're going to be eaten up by not just the people, but the land. <laughs> and the inhabitants there, the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. You know how scared. Uh, don't you know the poor little children were just crying to their mamas and go, Oh, Mama, Dad, where you? I'm going to lose you. We're going to die. Can, can you imagine? That's nothing worse. I mean, we might be afraid of something, but there's nothing worse than scaring our children. <laughs> I can remember whenever we were on our, uh, our out west adventure back in 2017 and we took the GPS turn that I never should have taken. It was a shortcut. It was a long cut. It was almost a death cut. And so I took the shortcut and we're climbing up and the transmission on the brand new truck is getting hot, pulling that trailer and we're squeezing by people as we go along this road. Sister Tracy's about to have a stroke. Uh, Abigail's in the back. She's singing a hymn. You know, it's bad with somebody in the truck singing a hymn. <laughs> She's back there singing a hymn, and it was one of mine, so I'm sure that she thought I was probably fixing to die. And I'm just holding and gripping the wheel, and I'm not saying a word, but I'm praying. That transmission heat, the heat, I don't, I mean, the, the truck gets hot, I'm used to that, but when the transmission starts getting hot, I'm thinking something's bad wrong. I, I wasn't telling the kids, oh, kids, we're fixing to die, kids, we're going to die, we're fixing to fall off this mountain. They would have lost, they'd probably all had strokes. Uh, Tracy was already having one. You know, there's been a lot of times in our lives, you know, when we don't let the children know how scared we are. <laughs> Can we see how that applies even to now, to today? You know, we may be scared to death of something. We need to take that to the Lord, not to our children. Take it to the Lord. These men who brought this horrible report didn't only scare the adults, it scared the children. And by the way, the children are the very ones that God blesses 40 years down the road to go into the promised land. <laughs> you think the Lord was attentive to that? I believe He was. They said, we see the giants there and the sons of Anak. Well, Anak keeps coming up. Anak, he was some kind of massive bully. He had a bunch of gigantic sons which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. You can picture a battle between a grasshopper and a, a giant or just a regular man. Who's going to win? <laughs> the comparison should not be missed. We're just grasshoppers. Little be hopping around grasshoppers. All we can best hope for is just hop around until he finally gets his boot on us and smashes us. That's a great report, isn't it? Fear. Do you think these guys... What? what? <laughs> if I may be allowed to sound so foolish. What network do you think these guys would have worked for today? The gloom and doom network. The fear and loathing network. The accusatory network. Which, by the way, is basically all of them. 
But Caleb stilled the people. He said, wait a minute. God promised we can take them. And the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night, all night long. All you heard throughout the nation of Israel there was, oh, and the babies are crying, and the mamas are crying, and the daddies are crying, and all the children of Israel are murmuring. we got to get out of here. We don't need to take this land. I don't care what the grapes look like, or the figs look like, or the pomegranates look like. I'm only thinking about the giants. (laughs) And the whole congregation said, would to God that we had died in the land of Egypt. Now don't be too hard on the people of Israel because they had been slaves for many, many years. And when you've got a slave mentality, it's a hard thing to break. We can't comprehend that slave mentality. But they said, would to God that we had died back in Egypt. Or would to God that we had died in the wilderness. You see, they're not just depressed and down and listening to false reports. They're also defaming God. They're saying God's not able And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey. You see, the men were saying this. Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to other, it gets worse. Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. And Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly. They can, what are these people doing? Just yesterday, we were on the precipice of being in the greatest moments of our life and taking the houses and the lands and the vineyards and all these things that are here to offer that God has provided for us. And now these people are talking about going back to Egypt. <laughs> can you see the predicament? Can you see the shift in the mind of these fickle people? Just over a false report. (laughs) If you can't see the significance of this today, then you're blind. You see? Moses and Aaron fell on their face before the congregation. And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land. They rent their clothes. Y'all, hey, by the way, y'all seen that a couple of times in the servant series, hadn't you? What did Job do whenever he was faced with the greatest tragedy of his life when he lost his children? It said he rent his clothes as a sign of his great grief. And here J- uh, Caleb and uh, Joshua and Caleb rent their clothes. And they spake to the people. Listen to what they say. The land which we pass through to search, it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. (laughs) That's interesting, isn't it? He says, we're just going to eat them. (laughs) We're going to eat them up. We're We're going to wear them out. You know, this is not like a sports contest where you think, well, who's going to win? You know, is this team going to win? They've got matched up this way. They match up that way. Who's going to win? This is not that way. God says, you're going to win. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great if you could be guaranteed of a victory like that? They were guaranteed a nation. And they were guaranteed to possess a land. Because that's the only way a nation can be a nation is to have land. They said, they're bread for us. You think these children of Anak, these giants or something, they're just bread for us. We'll eat them for breakfast. We'll eat their lunch, as we say. They are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But the congregation picked up stones and was ready to stone them. (laughs) What a congregation of people. Well, the Lord shows up. Wouldn't it be great that every time that the truth that's being told is in the minority, wouldn't it be great that the Lord would just show up and vindicate that? Well, this is one of those times. And I assure you, child of grace, the Lord is going to show up and vindicate His truth completely one day. That's the promise we have from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So relax. 
But in this instance right here, the Lord shows up and he begins to rail upon the people. He just he says, all right, I'm destroying this people. Moses says, please, please, please don't don't for the sake of your name. Don't destroy him. God says, "Okay, I won't destroy him. But God goes on and he says, I'm going to judge him, though. And that's where we come to verse 24. God says these men that brought back this bad report and the nation of Israel that's there before you to a certain age will not go into the promised land, but they'll wander for 40 years. He says, but my servant Caleb, who had another spirit and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land wherein he went and his seed, his children shall possess that land. And I never noticed this. I think I had, it's been a while since I read it, but in verse 37, it's pretty startling. You want to know why you don't remember Shemua, Shaphat, Egal, Palti, those other guys? Because it says in verse 37, even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land died by the plague before the Lord. <laughs> and they just are gone into the oblivion, into the dustbin of history. They died. Those 10 men died because of their false report. I love this verse 38 though. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of the men went to search the land, live still. I tell you, child of grace, you cling to the truth. You cling to the truth of God's word. If you cling to the promises of God, you will live still. I promise you that. And so Moses, long story short, Moses goes back and tells the people, those 10 men die and other people die by the plague. And he goes back and he says, you're not going in for 40 years. A day for the number of the days that the spies searched out the land. They searched out for 40 days. He says, for 40 years, you're going to wander. And the people say, oh, oh, well, we, we should have listened. We should have followed you. So we'll go up and possess it now. And Moses says, you're fixing to, you ever heard the saying, two wrongs don't make a right. <laughs> well, you're fixing to do something worse than what's happened. The people stubbornly go up to try to possess the land and they get whipped like a bunch of little children. <laughs> and a bunch of people are killed. You see, two wrongs don't make a right. And so, Caleb is promised that he will be able to go in the land. Joshua is too. But we're talking about Caleb here today. I want you to notice that the national response, the national response to the promises of God, the people said, we're dead. We're dead men. Our children are dead. Our wives are dead. The majority opinion was there's too many giants we can't do anything about this. Let's sell ourselves back into slavery. Except for the minority opinion. And really it was less than the minority opinion because it was just Joshua and Caleb. And there were at least 600,000 men, by the way. Think about that now. 600,000 men plus women and children. And every one, you know, what, 599,998? Did I get that right, mathematicians? They all died in that 40-year period of time. Two of the 600,000. You know why? Because Caleb had another spirit. It says that Caleb hath followed me fully. Caleb will I bring into the land to possess it. And not only will he possess it, but his children will possess it. Caleb lives still. Now let's get some servant lessons out of this, okay? Caleb faced a nation. And I want you to know, child of grace, whether there's one person left in a nation, like it seemed, like it seemed to be in the days of Elijah, but it was not. There were 7,000 that had not bowed their knees to Baal. Whether it's one or whether it's 10 or whether it's 120 or 150 or whether it's 500 or 1,000, whatever it may be, whether, what, no matter what the majority opinion says, do not let go of the promises of God. That's having another spirit, by the way. I've told you before about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of the best books that I've ever read. One of the, one of the few by, uh, bright spots in Nazi Germany that... Uh, that 
uh, that Protestant preacher who stood for truth and even was a spy against the Nazis and died in a death camp uh, two weeks before the Allies liberated. His name lives on. Where are all those other names? Uh, those murderers, they are in the annals of history in a disgrace, you see. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one man, and there were others that were with him, but we remember his name because he stood against a nation. I don't care if it's one or ten or if it's a hundred. What about Jeremiah? You know, I've given the people down the road for Jeremiah for many years, but I was recently studying about Jeremiah, and I realized that Jeremiah started prophesying. He began his ministry in the days of King Josiah. <laughs> So he actually did see some success. He saw the success of King Josiah's revival. He participated in one of the greatest Passovers that ever occurred. And it was all downhill from there. <laughs> you see? So it doesn't matter if you face a nation. It doesn't matter if the majority opinion of the nation says this. You cling to the promises of God, even though you feel so small. If you're clinging to the promises of God and under those circumstances, you have giant slaying courage. And you will yet live. You say, well, Bonhoeffer died. He lives, let me tell you. He lives in heaven in immortal glory today. He did not die in the sense of he's gone forever and he's dead all over like the old dog Rover. No, his spirit went to heaven when he died and we still talk about him today as a testimony to giant slaying faith. Numbers 26 and 64. Turn over to chapter 26. Let's look at verse 64. This is when, towards the end of the 40 years, that Moses numbered the people. God told him to. And very significantly, you think what happened there that day with Caleb and Joshua has been forgotten. As they numbered the people, Numbers 26 and 64, look at the language. But among these people that were numbered, there was not a man of them whom Moses and Aaron the priest numbered when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said of them, they shall surely die in the wilderness. And there was not left a man of them save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Only two left. You think God was good to His promise? Look at Numbers 32. As they are perched on the edge of going into the promised land yet again, many, many years later, in Numbers 32, this is such a side lesson and I don't have time to go into it, but it, is, it makes a good point. There's three tribes, Gad and Reuben and Manasseh, three tribes of the children of Israel, and they get to the edge of the promised land and they're, they're mainly, they are primarily cattlemen. And they see all this good grass on the edge of the promised land, on this side of Jordan, before you go in, and they, they go to Moses and they say, uh, hey, uh, uh, we just like to stay on this side. We'll just, we don't have to go in the promised land. We like this grass out here that our cattle can eat. So it, we'll just stay on this side if it's okay. How many people of God just say, well, I'm just comfortable just staying right here on this side of the, of the promised land of the church. <laughs> I'll just camp out and look over there and see all the milk and honey that's flowing. But I'm good right out here just feeding my little cattle out here on these hills. And Moses got irate with them. And you know what he said? He said, don't you remember whenever we 40 years ago were about to go in the promised land and the spies brought back the report and those guys died and only Caleb and Joshua were told they would go into the promised land? Don't you remember that? You're fixing to cause the people to err. And they said, oh, well, no, no, no. We'll go in with you and fight your wars. But when it's all said and done, we'll leave the promised land and go on the other side of Jordan and be out here on the fringes. Side note, who do you think was the first tribes that were taken in war? It was those fringe tribes, the ones out there on the edge of the promised land. So you better be careful what you ask for. 
Moses warned them. Numbers 34, just a couple pages over. You see what Aaron, excuse me, what Joshua and Caleb did didn't just fade into history. It continued to be brought back up. Numbers 34 and 19. Okay, this is where they're going into the promised land. Finally, 40 years later, and they're looking for surveyors. You folks that are deal with land and title and stuff like that. You know, a lot of times you have to get a surveyor to lay out the boundaries of the land. So God says, I want you to send surveyors in and mark the boundaries of the land for each tribe. This is 40 years later. And guess whose names are not on that list? None of those 10 men that died, nobody from their family is on that list. But look who's listed first. Who to send in to mark out the land. The names of the men are these. Verse 19, Numbers 34, of the tribe of Judah, Caleb. How about that? Caleb got to go in and survey the land because he believed in the promises of God. Okay? Joshua 14. Joshua 14. All right. Joshua 14 to set the stage. This is where they have gone into the promised land. Moses has died. Moses has been buried by God. And they're going into the promised land. And it's time for everybody to possess their inheritance. And in Joshua 14, in verse 6, it says, Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. That's where they were whenever they brought the report back and stood firm in the truth of God. And the other ten died. Look at, look at what Caleb says, verse 7. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. <laughs> Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive. Listen to the language. As he has said, these forty and five years, you do the math, Caleb is eighty-five years old. Even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old, eighty-five. And yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. How about that? You want giant slaying courage? How many of us at 85 years old? And of course, I know some of you are saying, well, he said he had the strength, same strength that he had at 85 as he was at 40. And yes, I will give that to you. I would hope that if we had the same strength that we had at 85 as we did at 40, that we'd be willing to go out to war. Here's an 85-year-old man, and he says, give me this mountain. And let me tell you where that mountain was. Guess who lived on that mountain? You guessed it. Anak and the giants. The worst place that you could possibly imagine. The place where today we'd send the Navy SEALs in undercover to do their work. Caleb says, give me that mountain over there. I'll take care of that. I'm not afraid. I believe in the promises of God. There's no giant that can stand against the promise of God. You see, Caleb's of the giant slayers. Caleb said, I'll go and possess the place that God promised me that I would have. Giant slaying courage. Caleb had another spirit. Caleb followed God fully, and Caleb possessed the land that he went. Uh, turn up one page over to Joshua. <laughs> I'll give you one verse in verse, chapter 15. Joshua 15 and verse 13. 
And uh, actually, I'm giving you two verses. And unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a part among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord, to Joshua, even the city of Arba, the father of Anak, which city is Hebron. And Caleb drove thence the three sons of Anak, Sheshai, Ahimon, and Talmai, the children of Anak. Can y'all picture that? Caleb goes up to fight these giants, the sons of Anak, and he puts them to flight. Isn't it kind of silly and funny to think about these 10 or 12 or 13 foot tall men running, ah, running like crazy, getting away from this little probably 5'10 or 5'9 or 5'8 Caleb who is just a little old bitty nothing looking thing from the nation of Israel and he's chasing them he's not afraid because he believes in the promises of God but you notice also he's not just sitting back and going okay promises God gives me what I want I don't have to do anything no he said I'm just as strong as I was when I was 40 I have the ability that I was whenever I was 40 and I'm going to go by my hand and war against these men and fight against these men and I'm going to chase them out of what my inheritance is and that's exactly what he did giant slaying courage we are well able to overcome can you identify any giants in your life I'm just going to give you a couple of mine the internet is a giant it's something that we especially with what I do in secular work I have to have it it's a, it's a necessary evil you might say but I have to also maintain prudence and caution and, and wisdom when I deal with it it's a, and I think about that with my kids. We didn't have that when I was 15 or 20. And it's an instant act. It's a giant to me. So I verbalize very often and caution. I remember when the kids were little, I'd say, when you're sitting at that computer screen, there's a devil behind that thing that's going to jump out and get you. <laughs> I tried to scare him. I wanted him to be scared of Satan. I wanted him to be scared of those temptations, you see. That's a giant to me. But I, have, I believe with all of my heart, as Caleb had giant slaying courage, that we can't slay that giant. A cell phone is a giant to me. I, I look down at my cell phone from week to week and see how much time I spent on it. And I, then I go to my individual things and make sure that the time I spent was mostly for work, maybe mostly for Bible study, maybe mostly for texting with members, maybe mostly for emailing with members. And I think, thank God, at least if I'm spending a lot of time on it, I'm using it for some good purpose. See, that's a giant for me. Can you say that? Is it a giant for you? I'll tell you one thing that's a giant to me. Time is a giant. I feel I'm 49 years old, soon to turn 50 years old. And I look at my children and I think how one of them's married. And I think of the things that are going on in this transitional stage of life. And I think time is against me. It's a giant. And it comes and it talks to me every day. It whispers in my ear whenever I wake up. And I think I'm running out of time. I've got to get to the office. I've got to get to this. I've got to get back home. I've got to do this. It's a giant that I have to slay on a regular basis. Is that a giant to you? Or do you even think about that? Maybe you turn on the television, Fox, CNN, and politics is a giant to you. And it's there in your face, and it's screaming in your face, and it's ugly in your face. And you say, there's no way that this giant can be slayed. I tell you, the nation-making God that sits on the throne, the King of kings and Lord of lords, has already slayed that giant. (laughs) Maybe coronavirus is a giant to you. Well, if that's a giant to you, the next virus is going to be a giant to you also, because there's another one coming, there's no doubt. It's just the beginning. Have the faith of Caleb. Giant slaying faith. And by the way, you say, well, how does that work out? It's not by posting and blogging your thoughts online. (laughs) That's not where this plays out. Okay, I've got a minute and I saved this for the end, but I'm not going to finish this in a minute. So give me just a few minutes. Because I don't want to leave this subject without putting this in front of you. The giant slaying faith of Caleb. 
Judah was a tribe of giant slayers. Okay? God told Caleb, He said, you're going to go into the land and you're going to possess it and your children are going to walk on it forever. Caleb was a giant slayer. He chased the sons of Anak. He slayed more giants than somebody we know, little David, (laughs) did. So Caleb goes in and he possesses the land. And by the way, that's the land surrounding the area of Bethlehem, Hebron, Jerusalem, all of that area in there. So he goes on to that land. He slays giants. Four or five hundred years later, you got another. Caleb was 85. Four or five years later, you got another little boy, about 15 years old, who comes out onto the battlefield somewhere in the area of Hebron, somewhere in the area of Philistine, of the Philistines, which is in the same general area. And he delivers a nation by slaying a giant. You're very familiar with that. David <laughs> slayed Goliath. Who Goliath was probably some form of kin or descendant of the sons of Anak. But even more than that, brothers and sisters, the greatest giant slayer that's ever been goes to the hill of the skull and he slays giants on the cross. His name is Jesus Christ. He's of the tribe of Judah. He is a descendant of David. He is a descendant of Caleb. And I want you to think about that giant slayer as we close here this morning. What giants did Jesus slay? (laughs) You may be thinking, well, He slayed the giant government of Rome. That great behemoth of government that ruled the whole known world at that time. Yes, that's true. You may be thinking, well, he slayed the great juggernaut of the Sanhedrin, who was the Jewish lawmakers at that time, who held sway over the hearts and minds of many of God's downtrodden people, one of whom Brother Luke mentioned, the woman at the well. Yes, that's correct, he did. And you may be saying, thinking, well, he slayed the giants of the Pharisees, who were the religious elite of the day, and should have known who he was. You're right. That's a giant that he slayed. But I want to tell you about one other giant that he slayed. Yes, the government was bad. Yes, the Sanhedrin was bad. Yes, the Pharisees were bad. But there's another giant that he slayed there on the cross. And this giant, you might call it a sleeping giant. This giant ruled and still rules in some ways for many years. This giant is the great friendship breaker. This giant is the great political divider who lurks in the shadows and points the finger and says, you should choose this side. You should choose that side. This giant lurks and lures victims in and destroys it through its own ability to kill and to steal. And you're sitting there thinking, he's talking about Satan. That's another giant, but I'm not talking about Satan. When Jesus stepped out of the grave and bruised the head of Satan there on that glorious morning of the resurrection, yes, He slayed that giant for sure. And He's dead and He's like a snake still wriggling, but He doesn't know that He's dead. He doesn't want to admit it. I'm not talking about that giant. I'm talking about the giant that has destroyed friendships, it's destroyed marriages, it's destroyed families, it's destroyed churches, it's destroyed uh, nations, it's destroyed people's lives for, for centuries. And I tell you, it's the giant of your sin and my sin. That's the greatest giant that Jesus fell there on the cross. You understand that that giant, as He grappled with that giant on the cross, and He's hanging there, appearing to be helpless before God and before men, 
As he grappled with that giant of your sin and of my sin, his body was literally infused with your sin, with this giant. I can almost picture it like a great battle where the giant is grappling with Jesus and the giant is close enough for Jesus to get his hands on him. Just like Jesus grappled with Jacob and wrestled with him and the giant comes close, this giant of your sin and of my sin, and it begins to think that he's got him where he wants him. And yet he's in the death hold of Jesus Christ. He's taking him into his own body. He's ingesting that sin itself, that giant. And as the giant grins and thinks that it's got everything that it could possibly have against him, it begins to dawn on that giant. I'm in the death hold. I'm in the chokehold of Jesus. And Jesus, the death eater, who ate death on the cross, who ate the death of your sins on the cross, he took it within himself. And he dismissed it from his body. He dismissed his life from his body. And all of that giant died within Jesus Christ. Is that not glorious? The greatest giant that Jesus ever slayed was the giant of your sin. Now that really makes you want to go out and sin some more, doesn't it? (laughs) Not me. When I think about Jesus' life being, his, His body being turned into my sin, the giant of my sin, it makes me never want to sin again. But sadly, I feel like I just can't help myself sometimes because of my human nature. Child of grace, you descend from giant slayers. Caleb was told that he would walk on the ground and his children would walk on the ground and slay giants. David slayed giants, slayed a giant and delivered a nation. Jesus Christ, in a spiritual way, has slayed the giant of your sin and you possess the promised land. Not just heaven, but the church of God. You're in the promised land now. Your inheritance is here. It's because the giant slayer has slain the giant of your sin.